Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. Uh, Julie, what's your preferred method of greeting? Uh, just a big bear hug. You know, mm. the 20-second hug. Counting it down slowly and luxuriously. <laughs> right into the person's ear. Mm-hmm. Well, see, that's, that's a very you know, personal mode of, uh, of greeting. You know, mm-hmm. some people prefer the handshake, which I was, I was reading uh, just a few minutes ago about how there's this theory that the, the handshake uh, evolves uh, from a day when you had to prove that you didn't have a weapon in your hand. Seems a little outdated. Yeah. And it's wrought with complications anyway. Hand pressure, hand, the texture of your hand, all that. Um, me, I'm getting more and more on this fist bump bandwagon. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I know there's, it has this kind of like a bro stigma apparently, which I was really not uh, aware of. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, I mean, you, you have limited contact with the other person. Okay. Which is especially great with like if I'm interacting with uh, my sister, who's even more standoffish than I am. Uh, it's like the only way that we can like physically uh, acknowledge each other because like hugs are out, handshakes are out, but the fist bump works. And that's like only like the corner knuckles, right? Like you guys don't yeah. even do four knuckles. No, no, no. You can just, I mean, in a way, you, way you can almost kind of have like a, you know, just a, a slightest touch and it, it does the job. Grazing. Grazing. A grazing, uh, closed-fisted high five, as it's sometimes called. Uh, okay. Well, this may be a really good microbial strategy because as we know from other podcasts and according to uh, Stanford microbiologist Stanley Falcow, the world is covered in a fine patina of feces. Yes. And I think about this every time that I go to this particular restaurant and there's a, a bowl of candy there. And my daughter always reaches for it. And I always kind of corral her away from it because I think, no, uh-huh. that patina of feces is covering at least a couple pieces of those candy. And if, if she ingests that, surely the next day we'll be seeing diarrhea. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's. I think a certain level of fear regarding the the bacterial world around us is uh, is sensible, uh, and that's why you know you get into this area of the fist bump. This concern over the the, yeah. the fist bump being uh, possibly a better means of greeting than that full twenty second bear hug. Yeah, because think about it. Right now, you're marinating in about a hundred trillion microbial cells from head to foot and mouth to gut on your skin. That stuff gets around, and as we had uh, discussed in our roller derby microbiome. When you come into contact with people, it's very easy to transfer your microbial colony to another person. And in fact, we saw that with those roller derby teams that mm-hmm. after matches, they would swab the skin and find that one team's microbiota, which was the same, by the way, because they shared a similar profile of microbiome, would begin to try to colonize the other ones. So yeah. you really do have to be defensive about the microbes in the world. Yeah, there are good microbes out there, there are bad microbes out there, but this is the community that we've built, and we're understandably a little xenophobic about other people's microbial communities merging with our own, because it can lead to all sorts of complications. Well, especially when you begin to wonder whether or not we are entering into a post-antibiotic era. Yes, because for the uh, the longest, uh, you've had your antibacterial soap. Like, you know, big vats of it, big, clear, just columns of it with a giant pump on top, right? Mm-hmm. And it, and, and I've been guilty of this as well. The, at the, you know, slightest excuse, be it dirt or you just, you just think of something a little dirty, you head over there, get like two squirts of the pump and just completely lather down your hands and you feel better. And, you, and, and supposedly you're, you're cleaner. 
Well, and then, of course, you see this in a hospital setting, writ large, right? Because you have to make sure that your surfaces are clean, that your skin is clean. And, by the way, there's a lot of microbes in hospitals, and they become antibacterial resistant, which is where we are today. But before we jump to that, I just wanted to mentioned that Hazel Barton, she's a professor of microbiology and geology at the University of Akron in Ohio. She has a really good article on Slate about this, and she talks about antibiotics. And she says they're chemical keys. They're constructed to mimic cellular patterns to block, bind, and even collapse critical structures within the microbial cell. They do amazing things. They're really specific. They can kill one bacterial cell in a sea of human cells. And she calls it a magic bullet. But she says that they are much more complex than anti-cancer or antiviral drugs. And their complex structural nature and high specificity make them almost impossible for chemists to build from scratch or even synthesize. And that we rely on nature to design these molecules for us. And the majority of these antibiotics come from other microbes. Yes. So she makes this case of saying that they have novel unique structures, and we are at a place where we've really exploited a lot of resources here. Yeah, that's one of the things that's, that can be really mind-blowing about this and can be a, a kind of a startling and frightening revelation is that uh, any any bacterial uh, agents out there are an exhaustible resource. Mm-hmm. What have we done? We've gone to the natural world. Like you said, we've gone underground, and we've we've, we've looked at uh, things in the soil. All right, what well, this can be used uh, to fight uh, a bacterial infection. This can be used. And then eventually we've, uh, we've drafted everyone into the, the war against bacteria. So we have to go to increasingly more exotic locations to try and find those new keys to uh, to unlock and unravel our bacterial adversaries. That's a good way to put it because meantime, in the meantime, you know, the clock is ticking and right. you have all these antibacterial resistant microbes emerging. And we see this with MRSA and that it's actually named sequentially after the antibiotics it's resistant to. And we see that it's responsible for thousands of deaths annually. This is, of course, methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus. Right. And then you have other names less familiar emerging. We have carpapenem-resistant Enterocci, CRE. We have vancomycin-resistant Enterococcus, VRE. And Clostridium difficile, we've seen that before. We've talked about it. C. diff, mm-hmm. known on the street. So all of these things are emerging. And in the meantime, you have this exhausted potential in market forces for, for new drugs, right? Mm-hmm. In fact, Barton makes the point that the last novel, novel drug that came to the market was discovered in 1984. And it took nearly 20 years to enter the marketplace as something called cubicin. And then. Um, Which we discovered on the side of a volcano. I know. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, that was another one we had to go. Where I, we've drafted everyone in the immediate vicinity. Where are these soldiers that we haven't found yet? And that was one. Yeah, another one was anthracomycin, which uh, could be effective against MRSA and anthrax. And that was actually found in deep ocean sediments. So you can see, again, that clock ticking and, uh, you know, trying to find new. Drugs to conquer this while our other microbes are getting stronger and stronger and more and more resistant. In fact, in March of this year, Dame Sally Davies, she's the UK's chief medical officer, she said, hey, microbial antibiotic resistance is a threat that's on par with global warming and terrorist attacks. Let's take this really seriously. Yeah, because just look at uh, MRSA. Where is MRSA showing up? 
uh, showing up in hospitals, like the, the place you don't want really dangerous, uh, antibacterial resistant, uh, um, agent to show up because you have all the people in, in weakened states, your immune systems are weakened. And, uh, in 2005, almost 10% of hospital door handles were shown to contain MRSA. So, and, and that's not even getting into the whole hand washing situation that has been uh, a problem, uh, in many uh, hospitals, you know, but the whole situation with doctors, surgeons not washing their hands, um, which is, again, a whole other issue. But but we'll get to that. But we'll get to that. Of course. Uh, in the meantime, you just kind of have to look and see what we can do right now. Now, Barton says, hey, since we have to go to these more remote locations, let's begin to consider caves as a possible area of exploration for these microbes. Because she says they're extreme environments, they lack sunlight, they have scant resources, and it makes an ideal place to hunt for antibiotics since microbes have to be particularly hardy in order to survive. Yeah, I like to use the drafting analogy. This is the uh, the equivalency of, of just heading out into the absolute boondocks and finding like a family of hillbillies and saying, hey, here are, some able, here are a whole bunch of able-bodied boys here working the farm. You guys can come and fight the fight, but you have to really go far. And like, like you said, this is we're t- almost talking about an alien environment, just one that's uh, kind of entombed within our own, uh, where you see really exotic forms of life uh, at the visible level mm-hmm. and then also at the microbial level as well. Yeah, and what I love about this is that you can just imagine all these microbiologists spelunking into these caves <laughs> and uh, coming up with these samples, and they're screening the genetic code of thousands of these microorganisms for novelty. Again, that's that novel compound that they're looking for. And then what they do is they take that and uh, they give it to analytical chemists and they use technologies like liquid chromatography, mass spectrometry, and ion mobility mass spectrometry. And that hones in on that novel and unusual compound. So we have the means of finding it and we have the technology. It's just, again, racing against that clock. Yeah, and the, the possibility is, is really encouraging. Uh, it's reading that uh, just one bacterium from one of these isolated cave systems uh, could be found to have somewhere upwards of like 38 antibacterial compounds within it. So. so the payoff is pretty great. The payoff, the payoff is potentially great, yeah. yeah. All right, well, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, more about the war against uh, bacteria, and we'll get back to the fist bump a little bit. All right, so we're back and we are talking about this microbial world that we dwell in and how to better negotiate uh, our way through it, especially when you consider the antibacterial resistance stuff out there. So what do we do? We change our behavior, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you can't, uh, if you can't make the big, uh, advances against the enemy, you try to accumulate all the small advances you can make. I mean, that's how wars are won anyway, right? Just you build up all the little petty advantages. And one petty advantage, uh, uh, the argument is to be made, is to start relying more on that fist bump as opposed to that handshake, especially in a hospital environment. So what you're saying is I need to ease off of the hot breath hugs. Yes. And do something that's perhaps not quite as skin-to-skin contact. Fine. Right. Well, now, the the study in question didn't really look at the hugs because, again, the hospital environment where generally people know enough that, you know, you're not going to have a big, giant, you know, stereotypical Russian hug every time you encounter somebody. But um, this particular research was published in 2013 by the Journal of Hospital Infection. Surgeons at West Virginia University uh, decided they were going to see if they could reduce the spread of infection just by fist bumping instead of shaking hands. The lead researcher on this was uh, Tom McClellan, uh, and he's a West Virginia plastic surgeon. And, uh, 
uh, it was a really a small study, but, but, but remarkable in, in their findings. Yeah, and, and we'll get to that in a second. But let's uh, back up and look at why this is important. First of all, even if your doctor is washing his or her hands, or you run and wash your hands soon after you clasp hands with another person, 80% of individuals retain some disease-causing bacteria after washing. Okay. Yeah, yeah, most people are doing it wrong, right? I mean, there's the whole uh, adage that when you wash your hands, you should do the ABC song twice through. And most people don't do that. I mean, most of the time when I go to the bathroom, I don't even hear anybody singing. Now, physicians are probably a little bit better about this, right? Because they're more aware of it. Um, but here's the thing. Uh, they kind of have to have some sort of interaction with you physicians, right? Because if you think about it, if you are going to see uh, a medical professional, you mm-hmm. are probably there in what is usually a tense situation or a stressful right. situation. You, you don't usually go to the doctor uh, when you're feeling great, right? So this can be a situation where you have to have that um, that sort of touchy-feely moment to create a sense of trust between the doctor and the patient. So this is why the doctor always engages you in a handshake, right? It might seem sort of ridiculous because this is what I think every time my doctor reaches out her hand, like, please don't. I know that you've been doing this to people all day long who are sick. But again, it's that social contract. So Yeah, you want your surgeon, your doctor, whoever, you want some sort of human connection so that you don't yeah. feel like a piece of meat, you don't feel like a number. You want them to, you want at least there, there to be an illusion that they care about your life. So this is why those surgeons thought, okay, this is a very important thing here. This is not just, hey, let's sit around and fist bump each other and, and just bro out all day. Yeah. Let's actually see if we can reduce the amount of junk that gets spread around. And this is how it went down. Uh, so small group again. They uh, they just started doing the fist bumps instead of the shaking. Uh, they cultured the bacteria grown on their hands, and they found that the handshake exposed more than three times as much skin surface area as the fist bump, and the contact averaged two point two point seven times longer. So more bacteria was transmitted as expected with the handshake versus the fist bump, where you have just you know a very small amount of skin. I mean, they're not even if you if you take your your fist and sort of bump them. You'll see that there's they're, they're not made to interlock. It's not like the handshake, which is kind of the, like the the mating of two fleshy squids. Fleshy squids. Fleshy squids. Of course, not two squid of the same species, but two different species squid. That's why I want squids. Well, I I like this because I'm not a big handshake person anyway. Like I said, I'd rather hug. Yeah. Um, and I do find it awkward sometimes because you know you don't know whether or not to employ the super aggressive shake or the you don't want to do like a limp fish shake either. Right. You also you can have different galvanic skin responses, right? So there's more sweat on your hands sometimes than others. It can be uh, odd, especially when you find yourself with with cold dead hands like me. <laughs> And, and you have to apologize every time you go to shake someone's hand. Well, one thing they pointed out uh, in the study, too, is that uh, the, the social contract of it is beautiful. Because, all right, so let's say you're, you're on a no-shaking hands uh, role, like okay. that's your goal for the day. Then what do you do when somebody extends the hand? If you say, oh, I'm sorry, I can't shake hands today, or I'm not going to... You know, there's a, how do you politely get out of that? You, you're going to, on some level, feel or, or look like a jerk. Yeah, you're going to be dead in the water if you don't have some sort of response. Right, but if they extend that hand for the shake, and then you respond by extending that hand for the fist bump, voila. Yeah, All yeah. they have to do is just curl that squid up into a fist and bam. Now, the study did not go into uh, whether you should explode the fist at that point, <laughs> if you, you should uh, do the, the, the peace sign and form the snail uh-huh. or any of the other uh, add-ons, uh, bonuses that you may uh, employ in your fist bump. 
Now, I would say that uh, within maybe your social group, your friends, your family, you mm-hmm. can do some of those variations and and risk a little bit more surface contact, right? Because most likely you're going to share some of your microbial colony with them. Yes. But outside of that, straight on knuckles. Yeah. Yeah. Like with my son, I do the uh, the fist bump, but then I have it explode and drip all over his face. So, so there's a lot of like contact that way. You know, I have to say that uh, before you had sent me this study, I did notice that in school the fist bump was being encouraged yeah. by by my daughter's teacher. I don't know if that was just my daughter's teacher or what, but uh, hmm. you know, there's a lot of hacking going on, spreading of germs among the, that group. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, maybe they're encouraging him more of the fist bump, at, at, in addition, of course, to the the Dracula elbow cough, which I saw a parent uh, encouraging that on the playground the other day, and I was like, yes. Which is just fun to say to a kid anyway. Yeah, Dracula up there. Dra- Drac up, maybe? I don't know. Can we get some better terminology? All right, so envision a future when we have a better understanding of, of the microbiome and uh, the threats, the inherent threats and the beauties that come out of it, right? We've talked about that. Do we just do away altogether with any sort of contact? Well, no. Not, no? We don't want to do away with, with contact, but, I mean, that's why this is beautiful. It's, uh, it's finding, finding out what we can lose and, uh, and you know, how we can sort of meet, meet people halfway. Not, not actually seal ourselves up in bubbles and refuse to, to, to touch each other, but, uh, but also not just, just say, hey, if we're not hugging it out, then we're not human. You know, I can't remember the exacts of this article that I read, but there was some sort of infestation of this woman in her family's house. And I don't know if it was lice or something, but demons, uh, demons, yeah. it was some sort of critter. And what happened is that, um, they all sort of had to stop hugging. And she said they became very adept at doing this sort of smile, eyes, hug. Mm. And she would stare at her son and sort of smile at him and try to hug him with her eyes, and he would do it back. And she said it was really kind of beautiful because it just slowed down, and of course they couldn't embrace, but they had that sort of communication. You could, I guess, do kind of an air hug, like where you don't actually touch, but you kind of air hug the other person, kind of. That's just. I don't know. That's in the realm of air guitar playing. Yeah. Air sex. Yeah. Have you seen that? Yeah, yeah. that's a thing. That is a thing. All right. Well, there you have it. It's kind of a shorty, but it's a shorty that might save your life in some small way. And you can feel better about fist bumping instead of uh, instead of shaking hands, instead of high-fiving. Uh, and then you don't have to feel like you're doing something else a little too uh, bro-ish, if you will. Yeah, it should go out of the bro-sphere into the mainstream, I think. Yeah, the bro-sphere? Yeah. Yeah. So, hey, let us uh, let us know about this. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the fist bump versus the handshake versus bacteria versus hugs. Everything in this uh, in this uh, episode is up for grabs, including diving down into deep caves for uh, uh, bacterial soldiers that we haven't uh, ushered into this war just yet. You can find us at all the normal places. You can find us at StuffToBlowYourMind.com. That's our mothership. That's where all of the podcast episodes are, dating back all the way to the beginning. You can find all of our blog posts. You can find all our videos. You can find links to our various social media accounts. And what are those accounts? Well, you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Tumblr. You can find us on Twitter, Google+, YouTube, uh, you name it. Find uh, all the keys to it there. And, of course, you can also send us an email at blowthemind at discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Well. 
Audible.com is the leading provider of downloadable digital audiobooks and spoken word entertainment. Audible has over 100,000 titles to choose from to be downloaded to your iPod or MP3 player. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash blowthemind to get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today.